Hello and welcome to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. This podcast is designed to help you have the confidence and skills for dealing with conflict effectively, whether it's connected to professional roles, dealing with clients, colleagues, management and leadership, or in personal relationships like parenting, dealing with your partner, or other friends and family members. In this episode of the podcast, I'll be talking about practical tools that you can use to stay calm, how to keep a level head when you're dealing with someone who's been quite aggressive, unreasonable, very entitled, and you feel like you're escalating. Now that might mean that you're escalating and becoming angry, you're frustrated, you're annoyed about what they're doing, or you know, you're sort of just sick of dealing with it, you're incredulous about the fact that they're being so uh, selfish or self-focused or whatever. Or you might be escalating in the fear, anxiety side. You're worried about what might happen. They've just dumped a bombshell on you and you can feel your blood rising. Your face is getting flushed. You're seeing red. You're, you know, someone's just told you about a problem at work or your son's just explained that he's got his report card back and he's got a few more Fs than you were anticipating. Um, whichever side you're escalating on, a similar kind of approach would still be helpful for de-escalation because we've only got we've got this sympathetic system which ramps up that escalation in our brain and body and a parasympathetic system which comes in and helps us to calm down. In the episode today I'll talk a bit more in detail about the different bits of our brain and what they do, particularly in relation to fight or flight mode because that's really helpful to understand when we're starting to think about a holistic approach for managing our own emotions and feelings and thoughts that might come up during conflict. If you have a scenario, a question about one of the topics that I've talked about or something else related to conflict, you can email it to podcast at simongood. It's S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E dot com. And I'd be more than happy to look at particular scenarios or situations, or maybe there's recurring themes that you're finding challenging. Again, it could be related to work or personal conflict. Either is fine, because that's often really helpful for me to show, well, how can we apply a fundamental set of strategies and principles for dealing with conflict resolution and managing it effectively? And if it's helpful for you, I'd be happy to talk through a situation that you're dealing with or one that you've dealt with before and it's sitting there with you. You still think about it and you're wondering about what could have been done back then to help things go differently than they did. So let's get into the topic. I mentioned that I'll be talking about some strategies to stay calm during an argument and conflict. Actually, I've just started a YouTube channel. It's just under my name, Simon Good. And there's a few videos that I've put together around similar kind of areas, how to stay calm and that kind of thing. So we have this goal of staying calm. The first thing that we need to do is understand well, what's actually happening. If we're talking about staying calm and moving towards that, what are we moving away from? In terms of the brain and the different areas of the brain that are responsible and activate when we're in conflict, responsible for things like that fight or flight response, the brain can be broken down into three main areas. The top front section in behind our forehead, it's the large wrinkly section of our brain at the front that you'll often see in a movie or whatever. Um, that's sometimes called the executive brain. That frontal bit is called the cortex. It's the uniquely human section of our brain and it's responsible for logical, rational, careful decision-making. That bit of the brain considers the consequence of behavior, evaluates options, comes up with a plan and basically uses, we use it to orient ourselves in the world. 
the middle section of our brain, sort of in between our ears, so down a level, is the emotional part of our brain. It has what's called the limbic system, which activates when we feel strong emotions. And it also has something called the amygdala, which is responsible for scanning and reacting to threats. Throughout evolution, the amygdala's job has been to keep us safe. And so most of the threats that it's used to responding to are physical, someone going to attack us, for example. The challenge is that the amygdala can activate that same fight or flight response when we encounter non-physical threats, things like going for a job interview or our boss telling us about something that we've done wrong. So that lower section of the brain starts to ramp up and activate. This is often what people talk about as escalation. It's the limbic system, very strong feelings, and the amygdala driving that fight or flight response, which is what they're noticing or observing. In the moment, though, people often aren't aware of the fact that this is happening. If we scan someone's brain and they're in fight or flight mode, there wouldn't be much activity happening in that upper rational section of the brain. Most of the activity would be happening in the lower emotional section of the brain, which is why when you're talking to someone who's very escalated, it can almost be like they can't hear what you're saying to them. It just doesn't sink in or register. And when you're feeling escalated and tense and agitated and stressed, you might have trouble doing things like making decisions, for example, or keeping track of lists. It's because you're in that fight or flight mode, the upper section of your brain's not operating at full capacity. The limbic system is also closely connected to the base of our brain, the, the very bottom section of our brain, which manages our autopilot body kind of functions like heart rate, breathing, body temperature, that kind of thing. It does influence behavior to some extent, like taking your hand off a hot plate if it's burning your fingers. Uh, but typically that's not something that we're aware of. Like we don't consciously decide to breathe or for our heart to beat. Interestingly, one of the techniques I'll talk about involves breathing. And one of the reasons it's effective is because it sort of connects the conscious and the subconscious sections of our brain when we focus on our breathing and breathe in a deliberate way. So that's the fight or flight response broken down vertically, I guess, from top to bottom in those different layers, the different sections and what they're responsible for. The upper part of our brain can also be broken down into left brain and right brain, the two different hemispheres that we have. The left brain tends to focus on logical types of ways of thinking. It's rational, it's linear, it's used for planning, it's detail-oriented and tends to be more cautious. The right area of our brain, the right hemisphere, tends to operate in much more of an intuitive way. It's concerned with bigger picture thinking, it's more random and scattered, attention might jump from one thing to the other. It tends to be more emotional, it is more creative in terms of options, etc. When you use your right brain, you might come up with a new way of doing something, whereas left brain would, this is the way that we do it and we just follow this. The right brain is active when we empathize, whether that's just thinking about what someone else might be experiencing or when we demonstrate empathy, when we talk to someone and or communicate with them and show that we understand where they're coming from. The right brain tends to be more adventurous and it's really important in calming down the stress response. So one mistake some people make is to just assume that conflict is about logic, which means they're focused on just left brain activity. They're then not aware potentially of what's going on for the other person. They're not empathizing much, which is a right brain focus. They might not be as creative in coming up with options. They're more structured, more black and white in the way they're perceiving it. 
They might have strong emotional reactions bubbling away, but they're not aware of them and they won't be as aware of their own escalation. So one of the things that we can do to integrate that left and right brain is to focus on almost giving the brain specific tasks. And I'll talk about that in some of the techniques that I'll go through. So first, let's start with some tools that we can use during a difficult conversation or an argument. And then I'll talk about some strategies for releasing tension and for resetting as well after that. So the first option that we have is breathing. I do a lot of training in conflict resolution and managing difficult conversations. And it's a very common theme. I say, let's just give it a go. Let's take a few deep breaths and see how you feel. There's piles of research showing that it's effective at slowing down our heart rate activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which comes in and calms us down when we're in a very worked up state. And it can happen very quickly. The benefits of the breathing usually occur after only three or four deep breaths. So it's really useful because it can be used during a conversation and it's fast. The best way to breathe is slow, deep breaths. When we're in fight or flight mode, we tend to operate very shallow, fast breathing. <laughs> when we're in a panic, you see fighters doing that in a UFC fight, for example. And then during the breaks, they're often trying to breathe slower to slow down their breathing. So their body's not using as much energy, for example, more of a calm state. They can think more logically and clearly. So breathing slowly and deeply using your nose is the ideal. If you'd like a specific framework to use or protocol, I suggest what Andrew Huberman talks about, which is fully exhaling, let your breath out all the way, empty your lungs, and then breathe in slowly, you know, five, six seconds at least, and then pause, and then keep breathing in, take another sip of breath in. Again, these are all opposites of the way that we would normally breathe if we were in fight or flight mode. Hold that breath and then fully let it out again. So breathe in, pause, take another sip in, hold that, and then let it out slowly. Um, if you do three or four rounds of this, you'll probably notice that you're starting to feel a little bit more calm. After a difficult mediation, a difficult meeting I've had with a client, this is a very common technique that I use to make sure that I don't carry all of that stress into the next meeting or the next conversation or the next thing that I need to be focused on. So breathing is the first one. The, the next strategy that we can use is a version of mindfulness, which basically means that we take control of our focus. We take control of our attention. When our fight or flight mode gets activated, we tend to almost develop tunnel vision, lose sight of context. We're focused on how unreasonable or how wrong the other person is, not aware of the fact that we're both in managers in this organization and we've got staff around watching us bicker like children. Um, or we're, I don't know, hyper-concerned about the fact that the client doesn't agree to what we're asking, not realizing that it's perfectly fine that they go away and think about it. It's not urgent that we have buy-in about this particular decision that needs to be made. So one of the things that we can do is to anchor our attention in the present by focusing on our senses. We would start with our five senses, sight, smell, touch, hearing, etc. And so just feel like what what temperature is the air in the room? Is there any breeze that I can feel on my arms or my legs or my face or my neck? Uh, what sounds can I hear outside the room? Is there traffic or birds or the hum of air conditioning? Running my finger across the desk and feeling the grain of wood, noticing the patterns that the wood makes. We don't want to completely ignore the person that we're dealing with, but these moments where we focus our attention on the present stops us from ruminating and overly focusing on the past or the future. When our fight or flight mode gets activated, we tend to relive things that happened before, 
especially things like when we've been embarrassed or ashamed or angry or the other person has done something wrong. It's because, you know, historically it's been really important for the tribe to survive. So we're primed almost to be hypervigilant to things like our tribe might kick us out if we've done something wrong. It's not going to happen today, you know. Most organizations wouldn't boot you out because you said something dumb in a meeting, but your mind's going to be constantly focusing on that because it's a threat. There's a chance of shame, embarrassment, social rejection, and all of those things are processed in a very similar way to physical pain. So paying attention to your senses, the first five senses is the starting point. You might also pay attention to what's going on in your body. Is there any tightness or any of your muscles feeling heavy or stressed or tense? Uh, are your hands clenching? Are you tapping something or pacing back and forth? What's going on in your forehead? What temperature are you feeling? Maybe your face is getting flushed. Being aware of the intra senses that we have within our body is the next thing that we could consider. And then finally, you might pay attention to what your mind is paying attention to. This helicopter view of our focus. Where is my attention at the moment? So if we think about within our body might be considered the sixth sense, like Dan Siegel talks about. Paying attention to our mind and what we're thinking about is maybe the seventh sense. Uh, It's what I focus on when I've I've started meditating recently. I find it incredibly helpful. And if we pay attention to what our focus is on... It means that we start to gain control of it. We almost develop the muscles, develop the skill and the strength to be able to more uh, frequently control our focus and not drift back to that dumb thing that we said in the meeting yesterday or whatever it is that our mind wants to keep playing for us. Um, I'm thinking actually about maybe making the focus of next episode's of the podcast on how to stop ruminating and obsessing because it's something that I've had to learn to actively manage quite a lot myself. So we can breathe, we can pay attention to our senses, including where our mind's at and what's going on in our body. The third thing that we can do is to name the emotions that we're experiencing. Ask yourself, what are you feeling? What label would you put on that? What word? But also, what are the physical sensations that come along with that? Is there a tightness, a tension, an energy? Where are you feeling that in your body? Interestingly, when we pause and reflect on that, where am I feeling it in my body? You might notice that your hands are agitated or you've got this heaviness in your shoulders or your forehead's really constricted. And then you might ask yourself, what else are you feeling? In psychological terms, this is called emotional granularization, where we go in at a fine level of detail at the feelings that are coming up. And it really helps because we lose that black and white perspective of I'm furious right now. And instead of it being this all-consuming thing that we are, it starts to become something that we're experiencing. I'm feeling angry right now. Anger is coming up within me right now. And I'm a little bit worried about this and I'm a little bit tired and I'm a little bit hungry. (laughs) It's all of a sudden feels manageable within control and a lot more realistic, I guess, when we're not just focused on this single, probably subconscious feeling that's taking over us and taking over this afternoon, our, our focus, whatever it might be. You might also consider the emotions. And one thing that I've found helpful and I work a lot with clients is I use a lot with clients is Assigning a neutral and mutual label, particularly to the argument or the conflict. I might say, I'm furious at this customer that they think they can treat me this way, or I'm so disappointed at my boss for not giving me support or not approving that training that I wanted to go to. 
Instead of that, the neutral label would be, I'm disappointed that I can't attend the training. If we reframe the complaint as this neutral thing that is a problem, all of a sudden it starts to open the door for future and solution focus. If that's the problem that I'm dealing with, that my boss hasn't given me approval, then I can start to think, well, is there anything else I can do about this? Can I talk to HR? Is it worth going to his boss? Are there other options that are lower cost that I could consider? Are there free ways to get the same training, YouTube or something like that? It might mean that I don't just sit there pouting and obsessing about how unfair my boss is. I can turn my focus to oh, well, given all of that, you know, how can I help myself cheer up and make sure this doesn't ruin my whole weekend? So that's the third tool we can use looking at emotions in that way. The next thing we can do is turn to the logical side of the issue. What's actually going on? What's the argument about? What's the conflict about? This activates that left side of our brain, the upper section of our brain that's more focused on logic, and it starts to drag us out of that fight or flight response, those very strong emotions that we might be in. So for me, I often ask people, and I would ask myself when I'm in an argument, these kind of questions. How would you describe what's going on at the moment in this discussion, in this conversation, to someone else who's not here? Just factually, not assigning attribution of why the other person's acting the way they are, not assuming the reasons why they're acting the way they are, just describing behavior. The meeting started like this, I said this, they said this. What This means is that it tends to feel less personal. We've started the meeting, we've both come from another difficult meeting with clients straight into this one. There was no clear agenda. We haven't had a chance to think about these decisions that need to be made. When I've asked my boss to approve this training, at the moment he's saying no. It's right now, it's this moment in time. It's not necessarily forever. It's not even necessarily that he's not gonna change his mind or that I need to panic and worry about this right now. These are the factual things that have happened. When we do it like that, we tend to be able to see the same situation more objectively, which tends to mean that it doesn't cause us to escalate in the same way. So how would you describe this? What's going on from a neutral, objective perspective? And then you might ask yourself questions like, where are you stuck? What's the sticking point here? Is it the fact that you've got disagreements about the budget for training or the approval process or is it the timing or they don't want you to go to this training but someone else could so it's unfair? Like what's the actual problem here? And then how urgent is this? Which contextual factors have contributed to this? How important is this? And then I might ask two more questions. If this conflict was purely logical, what would be needed? I love this question when I'm doing training or coaching with people in construction sector because they think very logically. They, It's all about money, Simon, or they just need to follow what's in the contract. And I say to them, sure, but at the moment, you know, you've got a claim for $20,000 for a subcontractor that you've used. I wonder what they need from you if they're going to be willing to be more flexible. You want them to compromise, so what do they need from you so that they're more willing to do that? What, what do you think might work? If this conflict was purely logical, what would be needed? Oh, I need to explain to them what's in the contract and tell them about how much it costs and explain to them how ridiculous their costings for the materials are. Okay, great. So what I've done there is given airtime to that side of the brain. I've let it have its say. It's focused about the fact that you're right and the other person's wrong. Okay, fair enough. Let's listen to that first. Then I ask a question like, okay, what else is needed? 
if it was purely logical, this is what would be needed. Given that this is a real person that we're dealing with, there's contextual factors, individual factors, organizational factors, who knows what else. What else do you think might work? What would increase the chance of success here? It gives our left brain something to think about that's connected to the right brain, which is the emotional layer. And when we increase the integration between the left and right hemispheres, what tends to happen is that we're more able to approach the problem in a systematic and strategic way rather than slipping into more of a knee-jerk reaction. The next thing that we could do, again, connected to the left brain, is setting a goal. Here, I'm often just focused on short term, like what's important for this meeting? When does this decision need to be made? What's my job here? Maybe my job is just to explain to the client why we can't meet the request that they've made for additional work without cost. And them getting upset and angry, that's not my job to manage that. If they walk out of the room, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've lost the project or lost the work. There's things that I can do to manage that then. It's not my job to keep everyone happy. It's not my job to solve every problem. It's not my job to make someone else do something or think something or feel something. All I'm responsible for is my behavior. So I often set goals like I'm just gonna do my best to communicate clearly and stay calm for the rest of this meeting. Look, I've done what I needed to do. I've put forward my perspective. What I'm gonna focus on now is listening and unpacking what, what's going on for them because that's gonna give me information about what's actually underlying this issue, this request that they've made. So I might have goals for the conflict itself. I might also have medium or longer term goals for me. Like I want a promotion in the next six months. So I don't want to annoy my boss to the extent that they stand in my way for that. Or maybe I've got goals for others. Like I can see how this is affecting other members of the team or the clients that we're working with. And I don't want them to suffer negative consequences because of a decision that someone else has made. Or maybe my goal is for the relationship with the boss, like how do I want things to be or with the client or with my partner or with my child um, or I want things for them, like I want my son to see that I'm able to deal with stress and I don't become overwhelmed and flustered and have meltdowns every five seconds, that's a goal for him which means I might be able to let something go through to the keeper rather than reacting when, I don't know, someone else in the family is being a bit rude or something like that so set a goal and we should focus on elements that we can control, which often is just what we say and what we do. There'll be things that we can control at the center of the circle close to us. If we look a little bit further out, it's things that we can influence, like what the other person does, whether HR thinks this is worthy of a bullying investigation or whatever else it might be. But there'll also be things that you can do nothing about. And what I notice a lot in conflict is that people tend to obsess about these things. This is ridiculous that we're all in lockdown during COVID. I can't believe the organization would make it treat its staff like this. This isn't the kind of partner that I signed up for. I want more support. Well, some of those things, the legislation around COVID lockdowns, there'll be very, very little that you can do about that. Maybe you can talk to a politician or protest or something, but you can't change it and you certainly can't change it quickly. So if you're lying awake in bed, losing sleep over the fact that this legislation exists, that's not going to be helpful for you. There's a reason why it happens. It's a threat and our brain wants to keep us safe. So it keeps going back to this legislation, which will cause us pain, financial pain, extra stress, trying to work when we're doing homeschooling with our kids. There's all sorts of traumatic experiences that might be coming about as a result, which is why our brain keeps playing it for us in our attention. It takes our focus there because it says, hey, this sucks. Pay attention to this. 
we can direct our focus back to the things that we can control, which will almost always be much more useful for us in, in the medium as well as the short term. The final thing that we can do is empathize what's going on for the other person or the other party if it's business to business conflict. This is particularly helpful whether or not you decide to tell the other person. When I talk about empathy in workshops like accidental counselor training, I'm talking about demonstrating empathy. It's a, a verb. <laughs> I want the other person to feel like I understand where they're coming from. But we can also just do a mental exercise of exploring well, what might be going on from the other person's perspective. You could ask yourself questions like how would they describe what's happening so far or at the moment? What do they want? What do they feel? What are they thinking and what do they need? Even if we just go through this exercise of exploring things from the other person's perspective, putting ourselves in those shoes, in their shoes, strengthens the functioning of our right brain during an argument, which is also responsible for calming us down, for mitigating that fight or flight stress response. So that would be very useful in and of itself, but it certainly does increase our capacity then to demonstrate empathy, think about options, not get stuck in a black and white perspective, etc. So, so far I've talked about practical tools that we can use during an argument or during conflict. The final two areas I wanted to mention are things to do in between interactions. Now, most conflict isn't a single argument that happens a lot of the time in families. It's over a series of arguments in the day or over a week or a month or years, even sometimes. Um, even at work, if there's conflict and tension and issues with communication, it's probably not just a single conflict. So one of the things that's important is after a difficult conversation or a difficult experience, finding a way to release the tension that's building up and to reset, almost turn a page yourself in how you're feeling. So in the release, we need this because when we're in conflict, Adrenaline is building up as a result of that fight or flight response. It's priming us to literally fight or run away and escape. A bear's going to eat us. They're really good responses. The problem is that our body does a very similar set of things when our boss is telling us about a mistake that we've made at work or we're needing to go and raise an issue with a colleague about something that they're doing or a client screaming down abuse at us through the phone. We still have the same buildup of adrenaline and if you work in a non-physical kind of job, that'll be sitting there as tension and energy, which makes you feel very agitated and you're more likely to escalate then in the next conversation that you have or the next challenge that you come across that makes you feel stressed. So to get rid of that adrenaline, there's a number of things that we could do, physical stuff like punching a punching bag, going for a jog, doing some squats or push-ups. You might also release the emotions like yelling or crying. Some people scream, ah! And even if you don't yell at a loud volume, you might just do it at that volume I'm doing there, ah! Like clench your fists and shake them in front of you as if you're furious. In a way, we almost release some of that emotion by expressing it, even if we do it privately in a toilet cubicle or a meeting room or something, if we're embarrassed doing it in front of others. You might also debrief, find someone you can talk to about how you're feeling. That lets it out, it activates the empathetic right side of our brain, which again helps strengthen our ability to stay calm and de-escalate ourselves and regulate ourselves. And if you don't have someone to talk to, the next best option is writing it down. Grab a notepad and pen, journal, whatever, and just blah, just dump it out. No particular structure is needed, just writing down, I'm this is what happened, or this is what I'm worried about, 
or this is what I'm sitting with right now. There's no right or wrong, but it, it's helpful for releasing some of that tension that's sitting there. The final tool that you can use is resetting. After a difficult conversation, I don't want to take that into the next interaction that we have. It sounds easy, but in reality, it's very difficult. It's super common for people if you've argued about something that morning and then you see that person again for emotions to rise almost immediately if people don't do this proactively. So for me, some options that I use to reset are having something to eat. I notice my blood sugar rises. I feel a little bit more relaxed and less panicked or worried, especially if I was getting a bit hangry. Um, having a shower, especially a cold shower, it's really good for raising our dopamine floor so we're not craving things like social media or alcohol or whatever else it might be. Um, wash your face, especially using very cold water can be helpful. You might even get an ice pack or some ice and put it on the left and right sides of your neck, kind of the area underneath your ears and just in front of your ears on your cheeks. That part of the brain is connected to something called the vagus nerve, which is connected to our parasympathetic nervous system. So when you put ice on the side of your neck, if you have a cold shower, if you jump into a cold pool, it tends to calm us down. Go for a walk, have a nap or a sleep if you're able to. A lot of the time we feel better when we wake up you know, after not thinking about the conflict for some time. Shake your body out physically, like shake like an animal coming out of hibernation, releases some of that adrenaline that's built up, helps to reset. It's something unusual that breaks the script, so to speak. Or you might even just turn your attention to something else. And one thing I find very helpful is set a very small goal that I can then accomplish. Like I just want to write down five different ideas for future podcast episodes. I'm not going to record them or script them or anything. I'm just going to jot it down as potential ideas. It gives me this sense of satisfaction and accomplishment almost, which again, it tends to mitigate that fight or flight response, that sense of panic, because when we feel things more in control, they feel a lot more manageable and it reduces that level of perceived threat. So I hope that that has been helpful for you, talking through some of those practical tools for staying calm during an argument. I'd love to hear from you if you've got particular approaches or techniques that work for you, or you've got a question or a situation you'd like to me to talk about in the future episode of the podcast. You can send it to podcast at simongood.com. That's S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. At a moment there where I forgot how to spell my own name after probably frying my brain trying to choose my words carefully during this podcast which is probably good timing for me to go and have a cold shower grab an ice pack and put it on my neck and have something to eat so i can reset which means i won't inadvertently be too snappy and irritable with my family when i finish my work day it's almost five o'clock on a friday when i'm recording this Thank you so much for watching. If you're listening to this immediately, have a great weekend. And I hope that some of the approaches I've talked about today are useful in your work and personal relationships. Bye for now.